Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. Hey, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovations. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm a talent development and belonging strategist and researcher on identity and inclusion. And I am here with my co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in diversity, equity, inclusion, and employee experience. Hello, Rob. What is shaking? Hello, Nadia. How are you? Thanks for that Doing introduction, by the see. way. Do you have any yeah. other co-hosts? Do you have other co-hosts? No, the, I the... know. I started to say I'm my other co-host. <laughs> One of my like, co-hosts. No, that's not plural. <laughs> I, like, uh, I didn't know about these other co-hosts. No, uh, no, just you. Only you. Excellent. Nadia, I, yes. what's what's going on? Can I, can I tell you what I'm excited about right now and see if you're excited about something similar? I would love to hear that, yeah. All right. What's so we are, the, we are, we've started the hockey season and basketball starts next week. Your reaction. How, Wait, level do you of mean excitement like NBA you. or NHL, or do you mean NHL like NHL started this your, week? You mean like your kid? Okay, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sports. So your reaction um, to my level of excitement. sports? What's like your really exciting? On a scale of one to ten, uh, how excited are you? I'm excited. Zero. Okay, NBA. No, no, no. NBA probably like a six. NHL maybe like a five or four. I think what I get excited about is your excitement because I know like every week you're going to be like, oh, did you hear about this or like. I'm following this team, and then that's how I get my updates. And then I also <laughs> just appreciate the fact that there's always, like, a good story or two that comes out of NHL or NBA because of, like, inclusion. And so it's just a, always – there's always a learning opportunity, I feel like. So there's always something to discuss. We could probably do an entire workplace culture show on sports. There's something yeah. every week. Usually it's really. negative and not a great story, and we don't, but uh, I'm, I'm excited about the games, the actual games. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for soccer. I hear um, there's a World Cup. There is um, a World Cup. In, during Thanksgiving time. Very excited. I actually do follow that. I'm re- I wouldn't say I follow, but I watched all the soccer games, matches with my family. We're a big soccer family. So really excited about that. Well, you know, my family is a Brazilian, right? It's it's half mm. Brazilian, so you mm-hmm. can imagine what my household looks like. It's going to look totally. like in November. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. Full of soccer. Love it. All right, let's go to the deets. Here are some workplace DEI stories that we are following this week. Rob, let's, do you want to go with your story first? Let's start with my boring. My story is boring. It's, uh, let's talk about gig mm. workers. Uh, okay. I'm excited <laughs> about the second story, but... So this week, the Biden administration's Department of Labor released a rule that would allow a test to determine whether employees are contractors or employees for companies. It will essentially make it harder to classify gig workers uh, as contractors and therefore make it more likely employers will have to do things like pay minimum wage, overtime, and contribute to Social Security and unemployment. According to the Pew Center, gig workers are likely to be, uh, are more likely to be Hispanic and Black and more likely to be treated rudely, feel unsafe, and sexually harassed working in the gig economy. And as you remember, these were the people that did not have access to benefits during the Mm -hmm. pandemic 
which, as you know, is completely over and we don't have to worry about ever again. Right? Oh, gosh. So, so Nadia, <laughs> oh, reaction, yeah. thumbs up? Yeah, I mean, so, re- yeah, really good that we're calling, which, I guess, like shedding some light on that. The gig economy is a big ecosystem. I feel like during the pandemic, I had, if it wasn't like every single one of my friends, it was like every other one of my friends was doing like a side hustle. And I think that's great. Kudos to them. Love. Um, And I think that to be equitable and making sure that people are being paid for their time um, and they're provided the right kind of workplace benefits, um, I think it's I think it's a good thing. I'd have to think through what like some negatives are, but I'm not prepared to answer that yet. What are your thoughts? And also, just because my sister listens and she's, you know, she does health policy, the pandemic is over, but COVID is not. So I just oh, feel like we need to oh. like make sure we clarify. That. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's breaking news to me out here in Utah. The uh, I think oh. it was over in early 2020 here in Utah. The um, so <laughs> I see it as a trend of very measured policies coming out of the administration. Right, we talked mm. about so you. You can see that Uber is actually supportive of this change, which is always a little bit concerning when the companies are a little too huh. enthusiastic and supportive of the change. Right. But like what's the what's the benefit that they're reaping from it, right? Yeah. Right, right. Well, I think it's I think it's they see it as the least bad outcome. They knew the Biden administration was going to do something here. And so they feel like it's probably a more more measured plan than what uh, was first proposed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so I, I say, you know, people say that they want to talk about uh, they want to hear about moderation, that they want mm. that the things are too polarized. And I see these things as very measured and very reasonable moves by the administration. So, um, you know, so thumbs up for, you know, down the middle Joe and his and his team there. The interesting thing on the startup front is like if you think about that for a while, it seemed like every startup business model relied on gig workers and relied on cheaper labor and not having mm-hmm. to pay benefits. And so now you're starting to see that pendulum switch swing back toward uh, better treatment for workers and, and making it harder to classify people as big gig workers. I think that'll have an impact uh, down the road as well. Yeah. Let's move on to our second story here. Yes. Social media was a buzz this week. The um, notoriously wholesome show on Netflix um, called The Great British Baking Show Face backlash this week um, on their Mexican-themed episode, uh, the Great British Baking Show. For those that don't know, is where they gather uh, amateur bakers uh, to have them compete against each other on the show. Um, NPR noted that the contestants were tasked with creating dishes like tacos and pan dulce and uh, Trace Leach's cake. They had um, the hosts in sombreros and ponchos. They were um, sarepes, I think that's how you enunciate it, um, in maracas. Terrible pronunciation on some of the words and, and foods and culture. And a lot of jokes around Mexican standoffs and other kind of really negative stereotypes. Have you seen this show, Rob? Like, wh- what are your thoughts on this? Have I seen the British baking show ever? The answer is yeah. no. no. Have you- okay. And yeah. so... I know you went back and actually watched the show. And yeah, so it sounded like from the accounts that I read that this was particularly egregious in terms of the way that they were presenting Mexican food and culture, right? So like some, they were heavily leaning on stereotypes. They seem yeah. unknowledgeable about the food itself. Like they never actually had the food. They, do they not have Mexican food in, in uh, the UK? I'm pretty sure they do have been there, had it. They they yeah. have avocados, like they have 
They, yeah, you know, this fight, I find this hard to believe. Yeah, as a as a person yeah. uh, who grew up in the southwest, uh, southwestern United States. So you actually went back and saw it. Can you t- t- yeah. tell us what? Yeah, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, super. There were definitely some segments that were actually there was. Let me give you the pros. There were actually some interesting places where I found um, I did gain knowledge. Like I definitely learned more about some Mexican treats, sweet treats that they talked about. So happy to learn that. There were definitely some sections, though, that were culturally insensitive, um, offensive, and even, like, I would say borderline racist. Mm. Actually, I would say racist, racist yeah. because they were overt. And and I'll get to that in a minute. But there was a lot of kind of um, cultural appropriation. And I think that's what some of the viewers, you know, were kind of referencing is that when you're borrowing or stealing from another culture to profit off it, especially from like a marginalized group of people mm-hmm. um, and they're, and you're not giving those, that culture, or those people kind of credit. And again, you're profiting off the episode. That's where the problem lays for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you're, you know, perpetuating stereotypes that are said about this group of people. And I think that's not, that's not good. <laughs> um, so I guess there was a similar situation in season 11 when they did Japanese week. So I dug a little bit deeper to understand that. And apparently they didn't learn from that lesson no. and the mistakes that they made. And so the real problem is like, one, they repeated the issue and they didn't learn. And so like, to me, you're intentionally now offending people. And that becomes, that's when it becomes overt. Yeah. Um, and then... Two, the lack of, I think, respect for people. It was in bad taste. The jokes didn't land. Um, and I'm all for jokes, but, like, not at the expense of perpetuating stereotypes, like, of culture and people. Um, and then you're, you know, gaining some profit off of it. And I don't know. As far as I could see, there was, like, no real apology from the show or from Netflix. I think the show did post or tweet a response that was basically making like a silly taco joke. Mm. Um, mm. To double and, down. And it, they double down. Yeah, yeah they totally yeah. double down. And so it's just, you know, it's it's a little disappointing. Um, any reactions on your end? No, I think I, I, cultural appropriation can be tricky, right? In this case, it's not so tricky. <laughs> what what happened? Yeah, yeah. That this is, a, this is a case of cultural appropriation. I think I was trying to ask myself, what are some things that I could ask myself to say, am I either appreciating or am I appropriating? Right? And so... And the fact that it, this is the second time around, like, come on, like, what, come on. we're not learning. Come on, come on, come should've on. Saved, you should have saved that for, British, the, for the yeah. rant. Yeah, <laughs> so thanks for that, British, Nadia. Yeah, thank you, uh, Absolutely. I will, I'm still not watching that show, <laughs> but thanks so much. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back with Marcos Gonzalez. Welcome back. Our guest today is Marcos Gonzalez. Marcos is the founder and managing partner of his venture capitalist firm, Vamos Ventures. This fund is focused on Latinx and diverse founders leading early stage tech-enabled companies. Their mission is to generate market rate investment returns and deliver meaningful impact through wealth creation, social mobility, unique tech solutions, and by taking a visible and clear stand as Latinx investors. Vamos Ventures has successfully closed Fund One, at $50 million and is preparing to raise an $100 million fund too. To date, the fund has invested in 25 companies and 22 are led by Latino or Latina entrepreneurs. Marcos is the son of two Mexican immigrants and was raised in an immigrant neighborhood of Los Angeles where he saw firsthand the resilience, creativity, and entrepreneurialism of the Latinx community. 
In our conversation, Marco shared about his formative decision to attend Brown University and then Harvard Business School, leading to early career experiences at Boston Consulting Group, which led him to the world of private equity and eventually to found his own tech company. We join our conversation as Marcos talks about his decision to start Vamos Ventures in 2015. I, um, after a pretty long career in strategy, in private equity investing, and doing a startup, I moved back to California and I started to look into the venture world. And it was clear to me that things were happening and Latinos were not present. I saw a lot of my peers, African-American peers, women and others starting funds related to those communities mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of discussion about it, but very few people were talking about Latinx. Mm. And so I looked for a team that was doing something and I didn't find one. And finally, me and a couple of friends said, hey, we have started companies in tech. We've invested in companies. We've run funds. You know, mm -hmm. we've done, why don't we do it? And that's kind of what started it. But I, I felt confident enough to do it, given that I had similar related experience over the previous, you know, 20 years, basically, mm -hmm. to do so. And that, that's what, what led me to, to venture. It was a long story there. But. So what were some of the challenges that you faced as an entrepreneur yourself? And did that, did those kind of struggles also inspire you to, you know, be a VC? Because I don't know if those struggles were related in any way, but I'm just curious, like, what was your experience in the startup world as being an entrepreneur yourself? To, to answer that one part of your question, which is, did that inspire you to be a VC? No, no is the answer. Mm -hmm. I, I did not start Bubble Ventures because I had an experience doing the startup. That experience helps me be a better investor. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And a more empathetic investor. Absolutely. Um, but it wasn't the reverse. I'll tell you, when we started this company, first of all, it was three of us. Always start a company with a partner. To do it alone is, is very, very, very difficult. Or have a partner at home that's mm -hmm. going to be with you the whole way and knows how to support you because it is super hard. So I had two partners. One was of Latin American background, but, but very Americanized and, and so on. And the other was, you know, white. Got Both of them from HBS. Uh, we had all the pedigree you could ask for. And um, our company was a commercial business, nothing to do with consumer products or the Hispanic market or anything like that. And it was very difficult when we were trying to raise half a million dollars to get started. Couldn't do it. We were about to quit. The day before we quit, we get a call from someone saying, okay, I'm in for a hundred. <laughs> and we immediately <laughs> called everybody on the list yeah. and people said, oh, really? You got a hundred? Hmm. All right. I'm in for 25. Next person. Okay. I'm in for 50. Next person. Right. Oh, it's like snowballs. Yeah, yeah. We ended up raising Incredible. 800 grand. So we got started. Uh, and by the way, we were using a BCG office in Boston at the time. That's where we did our startup. <laughs> and it was hilarious because we'd walk in. Of course, we worked at BCG. One of the other guys also worked there too. And we no longer worked for BCG, but we'd walk in like, yeah, we know the place. Finally, one, part, <laughs> one day a partner walks in and says, who are you guys? And <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, we used to work at BCG. We're starting a company. We're like, who let you in here? We're like, um, and he's like, you guys got to get out of here. You got one week to get out. So to, to his credit, That's he gave us another, another At week. least he gave you a week. Exactly. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that the people at BCG were like, please take me with you. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we started in the late nineties and 99 actually. And so we ended up raising this money. We started developing a prototype. We wanted to raise $5 million in the next round. Couldn't do it. Again, about to throw in the towel. Literally the, the week before we threw the towel, we get a call from a VC and they say, you know what? 
we're, we're in, we're in for, you know, 3 million bucks. Immediately Amazing. called everybody and we ended up raising $8 million. And what it showed me was that you got to keep going. And it always happens at the very end, I guess by definition, but it's, it's always a little bit after what you think you can do and, um, leveraging the networks it takes somebody to start. And as an investor, it's absolutely true that for most investors, it's a race to be last. Mm. So mm. if you're a founder and you're raising money, you should know that for most investors, no, most of them are going to say, I'll be the last guy in happy to be the last hundred grand or the yeah. last million. Yeah but very few will take that first step. So anyway, we ended up raising money. It was the harshest time to do it. Shortly thereafter, the internet bubble imploded. Mm. Uh, then 9-11 happened. We worked through all of that, uh, but it was a very challenging time. The, the worst thing for me was that every now and then I would see a, Latino, a Hispanic name or Latino at a fund. And I would think to myself, ah, oh, natural connection. This guy's going to make time for me. And it was all guys. And I say, this mm -hmm. guy's going to make time for me. And the worst thing was when he did not respond or with mm. just quick email, sorry, not for us. Mm. And that's it. And um, so what we try to do at Vamos Ventures is the values that we're trying to develop and build here are four things. Number one, we recognize the entrepreneur. We, we see you. We know it's not easy. We've been there too. It is super hard. And we recognize you for doing that. Number two, if you want real feedback, we will give you honest, real feedback. You need to ask for it. Number three, if we know anyone in our network that can help you on your journey, we will make that connection. And number four, you will always have an open door here. You're part of the family. Sometimes um, that's worth more than the money. Um, sometimes we have founders who say, screw, screw that, Marcos. I don't need to be recognized. I don't need this. I need your money. Mm -hmm. And I have to explain to them, we, we will review 1,500 companies a year. That's what we're going to review mm -hmm. this year. And we say yes to maybe 15. And by the way, those 15 are Latinos and Latinas, just like you. And for some people, that's not good enough. Um, mm -hmm. And I get it. It's hard. It's personal. And um, it's, it's, um, sometimes it gets to that. But I find that folks usually do come back and say, okay, fine. Who can you introduce me to? What right. feedback can you give me? And we're happy to do that. Um, and I never, I, I don't, this happened recently and somebody was criticizing this founder for being like this. And I thought... Don't, don't do that. This is serious for this person. And mm -hmm. they're, they're putting their life on the line here. So mm -hmm. totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about, uh, Vamos Ventures and I take it the fact that you're raising, are, are you, are you still raising a second fund? We're about to launch the second fund. You're launch the <laughs> so, second fund. Yeah. So, so I, I feel like your approach and your, your original thesis, are, you feel like it's somewhat validated. Uh, and you've been doing this since you said 2015. What have you, what have you really learned since you started uh, and, you know, based on the original approach that you took and, you know, and has anything changed over the last five years? There's a lot of things, um, we, which we get to get in so many different directions, but I'll say that starting with the easiest things, um, I learned that a lot of my experience in the fun world has been absolutely helpful to starting Vamos Ventures and I think setting us up for a long-term platform of real value creation for our LPs and for our founders. Um, so that's one. Two, I've learned that it can't be everything to everyone. Uh, we started out by saying we are a diverse team for diverse founders. Yeah. And, and technically we are. And we are not exclusive to the Latinx community, but I've learned you have to focus on what you know. 
And so uh, we no longer shy away from the fact that we say the spirit of Almost Ventures is investing in this amazing investment opportunity of high growth, you know, large, high growth entrepreneurial asset base that others don't really understand that well, but we mm -hmm. do. And it's a great investment opportunity. And by the way, we're Hispanic too. Uh, so it's not the, the reverse necessarily. It's, it's that this is what it is. And we don't shy away from that. Whereas before we'd always say diverse. And uh, we didn't want anyone thinking that we were just focusing on Latinx. But, you know, 22 out of 25 companies are led by Latino or Latina founders. And that proportion is going to probably remain more or less the same for fun, too. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are more convicted than ever that this is an amazing uh, market, community, and demographic to invest in, for mm -hmm. sure. The other thing I think we've learned is that you know, in 2015, 16, when I was just starting out with the idea, I traveled the country and I found maybe 200 deals to invest in that were, uh, you know, reasonable deals. And as I said earlier, 1,500 deals this year, and I know we're missing a lot of them. And so mm -hmm. there's been an explosion. So I really, we've learned that this has been the right call mm -hmm. and we are at the right place. And this is just the beginning. When, when we started Bombas Ventures, there were no other Latinx investors uh, in a fund you know, formally as a fund, there mm -hmm. were people out there doing stuff and being engaged, but well, today there are, and mm -hmm. even if they're not specifically focused on Latinx, they're diverse and they include a lot of Latinx entrepreneurs, some of your previous guests. So now it's going to be about how do you differentiate yourself with other Latinx investors and folks that include Latinx. And that's a good thing for us, um, because it forces us to be thoughtful and strategic about the future. Um, and what we're trying to accomplish and achieve. The other thing, the last thing I'll say about what we've learned is that money is only part of the problem or mm. the challenge. Mm -hmm. And if, if you want to invest in any diverse community, African-American, Hispanic, primarily, uh, in those two communities, channeling capital to those founders and entrepreneurs, that's half the battle. The other half of the battle is channeling mentorship, guidance, support, access to networks. That yeah. is in the venture world, different than the private equity world, that is equal in value to money, if not more important. How do you see your role as a VC when you bring on um, an entrepreneur, founders, maybe they receive their you know, Series A and they start to maybe build their team? How, how are you encouraging diverse teams, the building of, um, even from, you know, a customer standpoint, looking at diverse set of customers, what role does a VC or maybe not in general, a VC, but Vamos Ventures play in kind of, um, understanding in building, you know, the support that's needed for, uh, these kind of entrepreneurs and thinking in a different way. Generally speaking, there are three ways you add value. Um, I won't spend a lot of time on this question, but um, um, I think most, because most VCs will answer the same thing. And that's business development relationships, introducing them to potential customers, to talent and everything related to them. When they're hiring folks or looking for a partner or managing people, we can be helpful in that respect as well. Mm -hmm. So talent and people, business development, talent, people. The third one is capital, introducing them to other investors in having those relationships ready to go or helping them think through those, those uh, relationships or preparing them for it. So we're working with one of our companies today. Uh, in fact, we'll get together again today. We'll review the deck for their front next round 
And we're taking a very active role and literally going through each slide, debating it, coming up with new slides, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's such an important tool, uh, your pitch deck. You can't afford to not make it as, as good as possible. Those are the three areas that most people kind of focus on. Talent, business development, and money. The, the fourth that we would kind of say that maybe is on top of that is um, we just had a summit. I mentioned uh, one of our founders earlier with, with, with Rob. We had a mm -hmm. summit for our founders in San Francisco. We had, I don't know, maybe 20 out of our 25 companies uh, participate. Not all of them are Latinx founders, but most of them mm -hmm. are. And what we tried to build is a, this is safe space. And uh, everybody here is a person of color uh, or Latino or Latina. And so are we. And we've been where you are too. And we've tried to raise money too. And we have raised money. And, and everybody here has raised money, by the way. Some of you have raised a lot of money. And, but we're a community. We can be vulnerable here. And we spent all our time, almost all our time, just introducing ourselves to each other. Could you imagine? We had 20 founders there, Latino, Latina founders there mostly. And mm -hmm. most of them did not know each other. And it is always amazing to me. We do a lot of stuff. We go to different cities and we kind of do uh, events. And we'll, even in Los Angeles, we'll have an event and we'll have, call it, I don't know, 30 Latino, Latina founders there that show up. Most of them do not know each other. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It is a really interesting to see. And I don't think that's specific to the Latino community. I, I think that's in other communities as well. Sure. Um, so one of the things we're trying to do too is make these connections. You are now mm -hmm. part of each other's network and support mm -hmm. system, guidance, and mentorship with somebody who gets you, you know? Yeah. Now, maybe not all 20 people here will get you, but, but one or two probably will, who sure. you are and your experience. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. that's super valuable. I have so many thoughts on, on, on that, but um, I'm just thinking about the numbers. And I think if you, if you look at the last few years, uh, certainly the vintages, you're starting to see more investment in Hispanic Latinx founders, but you still see these numbers that are just embarrassingly low. They're almost incredible, right? So you've, you've, you've got 22 Hispanic Latino founders. What do you think's going on there? Uh, I mean, so what, what do you see when you see the numbers every year? And I think if, if it's 2% of venture money going to Latinx founders, what do you, what's going on? Why haven't there been some acceleration even past what we've seen in the last couple of years? I think that there are two part, two phases. The first phase uh, is the existing VC community and the demographic. The demographic mm -hmm. is incredibly young. Mm -hmm. um, okay. By definition, by nature, it's just, it's just very young. And I think what we're seeing in terms of our pipeline growing reflects the coming of age of the Latino demographic. 80,000 mm -hmm. Latinos turn 18 every month. 80,000. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Um, yeah. When you look at the city of LA, 50% of this city is, is Latino. But the average age is, you know, I don't know, uh, 28. And mm -hmm. when you look at K through 12, it's not 50%, it's 70%. And when you look at just grade school, you know, it's 75%, 80%. So it's yeah. super young. You know, give us, give us some time, you know, to, to develop those folks. <laughs> Number one. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Number two, the existing ecosystem of the venture capitalists. Um, I have a lot of friends who are VCs from, you know, HBS or from Brown. Mm -hmm. And when I was starting Bubbles Ventures, I met with all of them. And I said, what's going on? Do you not see Latino entrepreneurs or Latino entrepreneurs? You know, do you not like us? And uh, <laughs> they'd say, Marcos, look, my job is to generate returns for my investors. Mm -hmm. And I invest in people I know or people I've invested in before. And if you bring me a great Latino or Latino entrepreneur, happy to look at it. But 
my job is returns, not sure. diversifying this industry. On the one level, I say, I can't argue with that. That is your job and you have to do your best job, right? Best you can do. But then I take myself up to 30,000 feet and I say, but here's the problem with this, you know, friend from, you know, HBS or from Brown mm-hmm. is that because all of you do this, we will never get into that system right. mm-hmm. uh, because you will continue to. So what I learned was in my very first or second investment, the guy I invested in, who's an amazing person who unfortunately passed away, may rest in peace because he was an amazing guy, Latino. When he sold his company and I made money, I called him and I said, Hey, when you're ready for your next company, I'm your first guy in. And at that moment, light bulb. That's mm-hmm. exactly what every VC says. And that's mm-hmm. what Sequoia said 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they've been saying it ever since. And they have their, their folks already. And if it's not that person, it's going to be that person's buddy or that person's kid or that mm-hmm. person's cousin, you know, et cetera. And so it is a, by nature, this industry we play in of early stage investing, networks and relationships are super important, right? And um, so very young mm-hmm. and a network driven kind of business. That's the first phase. The second part is asset allocators and diverse investors like me. We need to find diverse investors like me who care about it enough to say, I know my job is to generate returns for my investors, but I want to do more than that. I have a different role and my role is not just investor. It's something else. And we need people like that, but it's hard for those people to get started because it takes you three years to raise money. Mm-hmm. And you have to have relationships to do it. And most people don't have that time right. or those kinds of savings, et cetera, or a partner willing to support them. We went through a golden era of this in the last year, which made things a little differently. But most of the time, it takes you two, three years to raise a fund. The last part of the second phase is not only do you need people with intention, you need asset owners, asset allocators who also believe. Mm. So foundations, endowments, pensions, mm. et cetera, yep. that mm-hmm. say, you know what? We're managing a hundred billion dollars. Why don't we take a hundred million of that and allocate it to 10 diverse managers who are trying to get started? Because not only is it a good idea to do that, to develop new relationships, not only will we learn what's happening in the market, but most of our money comes from diverse employees or diverse teachers. So we're investing in that community. At any rate, that is starting to change now. Um, I think if you look at the first component, the current VC ecosystem and the young demographic, if we just count on those two things, we're going to wait a long time. It's going to be generations, I, yeah. I believe. So then we got to go to the second phase. Okay. We got to find guys and gals with intention. Not only that, we got to find asset allocators who are willing to do it. Mm. So a lot of folks have come up now and starting their own funds, but it's hard to raise money. And that's fine. But a lot of asset allocators are starting to get in the game too. So that's a great thing to see. I I look at the state of Illinois, for example, state of Oregon Mm -hmm. uh, on the pension side. I know California is starting to make some moves, um, which I'm really excited about. Um, I've heard Florida and other places. That's where the money is. Mm -hmm. When I talk to managers, I always say, look, guys, I, I, I come from the private equity world, so I know I'm biased, but the future of your platform is not weird. These individuals we have a relationship with, it's with the states, mm. it's with the foundations, it's with the endowments. That's the future of your fund. Oh, interesting. Um, so 
I think that that learning for kind of the emerging manager group is starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think at a good time, because I see more foundations getting into this world of making commitments to diverse managers and diverse entrepreneurs, which is a great thing to see. Sure. Um, you know, leaders in this area are the Ford Foundation, the Kellogg Foundation, the Cerna Foundation in New York, Margaret mm -hmm. Casey Foundation in Seattle, California Community Foundation here in Los Angeles, led by amazing people who believe. That's I did great. not uh, catch Utah as one of those forward-thinking <laughs> states, but I didn't uh, say Utah. I, I, will, I, I, yeah. I didn't say Utah. I did not say Utah. Guys, <laughs> no, I didn't catch you're that. You're in Utah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in well, Boston. Uh, uh, He's in yeah. Utah. Uh, okay. so, yeah. I'll mark Utah down as not forward-thinking. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you, you know what, uh, Rob? It's interesting you say that. We've been seeing some activity out of uh, out of Utah, out of Salt sure. Lake. Sure. Yeah. Uh, diverse founders coming yeah. out of there. Yeah, That's I great. hope so. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, Marcus, we'll do a twist on, you know, we always ask for, for advice, but I'm interested from you, um, you know, with the economy, right, and the pressures the companies perhaps will face, or they're certainly facing right now in high inflation uh, with also interest rate shock and type of environment. You know, what are you concerned about right now and what type of advice are you giving portfolio founders and startup uh, entrepreneurs? Do you know there's an old saying that says when the United States sneezes, Mexico catches a cold? Mm. Um, oh, uh, that phrase is said a lot, uh, if you live or work with Mexico, <laughs> so I don't expect anybody to know this who's listening, but the, the, the analogy here is that it's the same thing in the United States with diverse communities. When mm. the U S sneezes, and I'm talking about the capital markets, diverse communities catch a cold. So my concern, what I worry about is that as we go into this challenging economic environment, that we see a pullback from asset owners allocating capital to diverse managers and diverse managers pulling back from making investments in diverse founders or other, that one I'm not too worried about. I'm worried about no one does a deal by themselves. You need mm -hmm. other investors to come in. I'm worried about the other investors who say, you know, we were making an effort to invest mm -hmm. in more diverse founders, but stuff's hitting the fan. Mm -hmm. And we got to retrench here and, and stick to our core tried and true strategies of investing in folks we know. I'm worried about that, and I'm worried about asset allocators pulling back. Up to now, I believe that what I've seen is asset allocators, the foundations, endowments, and others of the world, they're very conscious and thoughtful about this. And they don't want to, I believe most of them have no intention of kind of pushing forward on this and then retrenching and pulling mm -hmm. back. I see a lot of committed folks, and I'm really happy and grateful to see a lot of leadership there of folks who are very committed. In the back of my head, I do worry that um, things get really bad in the economy and folks just say, we're, we're stopping. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, this program we started for diverse managers or new emerging managers doing this mm -hmm. stuff, we're gonna put a little time out on that. That's, sure. that's a worry yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and then of course I worry for the you know, diverse founders. Something happens as a diverse founder, if your peer who is white male, let's just say from Stanford, if they raise a million dollars for a certain round and you're trying to, you have the exact same business and you're raising the exact same amount of money, you'll raise 700,000. You're mm -hmm. always 30% below. Mm -hmm. Well, that person over there with a million bucks, they have an extra six months of runway. Mm -hmm. right. That gives them extra time to hit milestones to raise the next round. You have $700,000. Mm -hmm. You have fewer networks, fewer relationships, and you need to hit the same milestones. Because right. if you don't, you're in a very bad position for the next round. In fact, you may not get to the next round. And if you do, 
it may be a very bad next round. The next round for that person, they'll raise 5 million because they hit their milestones. You might raise a million, million and a half, because you haven't hit your milestones. It is a very challenging time. Uh, when the, even when the economy is great, it's a challenging time. So yeah. if you put on top of that uh, our difficult economic environment, mm-hmm. that's, that's my concern. That's my worry. Yeah. Mark, it's such a great conversation. Um, one final kind of wrap-up question I have for you is, how can our community, our listeners, um, be of support to you and your overall mission at Vamos Ventures? Well, I don't know who's listening, but um, if it's an asset owner, we're raising funds too. All right. <laughs> Starting next January. Yeah. That's We'd love awesome. to hear from you. Absolutely. Uh, and um, if, if you're a founder and you're a diverse team, regardless of background, we'd love to hear from you too. Whether you want to or need to, the recognition part aside, it's, it's about introductions and feedback and, and happy to do that. Um, and then three is, I think advocating and shining a light on uh, the opportunity and the opportunity that derives from not only the economic benefits, but the, I think the national imperative to invest in the future of America mm-hmm. is super important. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask folks up and down this chain, asset allocators, consultants, fund managers, entrepreneurs, that this is not about, hey, we need to cut this community a break. Hey, we need to do this community a favor. It's right. not about that. It is about especially in the Latinx community, it's about a $2 trillion consumer market. It is about a very young, long runway consumer. It is about a community that's incredibly innovative, creative, resilient, and entrepreneurial. These are the things that we're investing in. It is not about a handout. It is about an amazing opportunity as investors and entrepreneurs. And if, look at California, if, if you don't mind, I'll just take a minute to say this. Um, sure. California, this my home state, that I love. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is where two worlds exist, yeah. but don't meet. Mm. The world of venture capital, 50%, if not more, all venture capital dollars are managed here and invested here. All right. 50% of all VC backable companies, et cetera, obviously are here. When we talk about the Latino community, there is no state in this country that has more Latinos than this state of California. Mm-hmm. The state of California, as I said, city of LA is over 50% Latino and Latina. The state itself is 40%, 41%. There's no state like that in this mm-hmm. country. Texas is 38. Texas. Yeah. So when you look at these two worlds, the venture world, no doubt this is the place for venture. Yeah. Mm. And the Latino world, no doubt, this is the number one state with Latino and Latino, you know, entrepreneurs and community, but they don't meet. Mm. How is that possible that they don't meet? I have you a know, lot of theories, but okay. <laughs> certainly, certainly we have theories. So one of my favorite things to say is when you look at the top five states from an economic perspective, California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Illinois, mm-hmm. those five states represent 40% of the U.S. GDP. Five states, 40% of U.S. GDP. It's incredible, right? yeah. Those five states, the Latino community is the largest community in each of those five states. Mm. Sometimes by a lot, like California and Texas. Mm-hmm. So if we're not investing in this community, that's mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah. And that don't mean because, oh, poor Latino community. No, it's a problem for You're California. missing an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. It's a problem for the leadership of this country mm-hmm. on a global scale. Sure. That's the problem. This is not about, uh, you know, why don't we do this? No, this is a we must do. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it'd be, it's this great time for leadership to think about how do we best integrate, support, invest in, develop this new America, mm. right? People should be thinking about this from Washington to Sacramento and other state capitals mm -hmm. and boardrooms. How do we, because this is the future we're talking about. And I don't know if that's happening uh, too much. So that's where we need to push, I believe. And I'll say one last thing. I may have said a lot of things that make it sound like it's uh, horrible and difficult to be a diverse uh, entrepreneur and founder, <laughs> no, you know, the whole 70% no. to 100% fundraising and it takes forever and it's hard. It is hard. It is absolutely hard. And life is not fair. This is the life of we have to deal with. We got to try to make it better. And we're doing that. We, we, have, to, gotta, we have to fight to make it better. Mm -hmm. But it is not impossible either. It's not impossible. And folks have done it. And we are blessed to live in an amazing country with a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And um, I always tell folks that what changed things for me with Bombos Ventures was that one day uh, I said, somebody told me, Marcus, you have to look for the investors that are already looking for you. Because mm. I was pounding my head against the brick wall, trying to get money out that. of that brick wall. And yeah. finally, this person said, Marcus, this is a big country. A lot of people have a lot of money. How is it possible you can't raise $25 million, our original target? Yeah. And I said, you're, you're right. How is it possible I can't raise? And this country with so much money. Right. I, I'm obviously not talking to the right people. Mm. So when I tell founders many times, and I'll tell the audience is that if you're starting a company, if you're raising money, if you're a fund manager, if you're starting a restaurant, doesn't matter. Find the person out there because they, they exist. That's already yeah. looking for you. Already wants to do this with you. And that's, that's, that's a challenge, but I think it's a, it's a helpful perspective. Fair we good. should end on that. Marcos Gonzalez, Vamos Ventures. This has been so much fun. I learned so much. There's a lot of things I have to keep thinking about after, after we uh, end today. So thank you so much for all the, the insight. Uh, and you're an incredible ambassador to the venture capital community and uh, really excited about the things that you're doing for Hispanic and uh, Latinx founders. And, um, you know, we wish you the best of success going forward. Come back and see us if you don't, if yes, you don't mind. Yes, come back and see us, Marcos. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to. And um, there's so much more to talk about. There's so much more. So yeah. many dimensions. Uh, but you guys are doing a great job. Thank you guys for doing what you do. Focusing on DEI is super important. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, people would roll their eyes when you mentioned DEI, mm -hmm. uh, let alone ESG. And um, <laughs> I remember the, the times of corporate responsibility, you know, that, that yeah. was the way in. But uh, now it's, it's people of like, okay, we need to face up to this and do something yeah. about this. So Absolutely. thank you guys for, for running this and, and bringing a lot of voices to the, to the forefront. That's great. Excellent. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> So good Absolutely. to meet you. We'll, um, we'll be back. Welcome back, folks, to our Con Reflection section of our podcast. Um, we just finished speaking to Marcos Gonzalez of uh, uh, Vamos Ventures. I say this about every guest, like, oh, how interesting they were, how energetic. But, like, I literally did get chills talking to Marcos um, just in terms of what he shared, I took notes. So I'm, I'm looking to the side of the computer here, but like he recited his like four values of Vamos Ventures, really appreciated that. He said something that really stuck with me. Always start a company with a partner um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's tough. Rob, we, I, I could not yeah. have done this Check. without you. <laughs> Check. Check. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that was powerful. And then I loved 
when he was sharing his own experience about the startup world and how it wasn't necessarily a motivating factor for him. The, it wasn't the inspiration to start Ramos Ventures as he started his own startup, but what instead it gave him the understanding, like the appreciation, the experience and knowledge and the empathy um, mm -hmm. of being a venture capitalist. And I just, I thought that was really revealing in terms of character and authenticity and really just a leader, right? Like these qualities of inclusive leadership. Um, so I really appreciated that. What were you, what were your takeaways and thoughts? I really liked the phrasing or thinking about the fact that leaders need to be thinking about what the new America looks mm. like. I just like that. Just that image was really uh, make America inclusive that again. Framing, yeah, <laughs> that framing was really interesting to me. And I know that there's forces in this country that don't want there to be a new America, but it it is it is certainly unavoidable. And I thought it was just really and I. And when you think about it framed that way, it, it's inspiring and, yeah. and, you know, something like that we can all work on together and, and there should be, you know, that should be a, a positive thing. Um, so loved it. Thanks so much to uh, Marcos Gonzalez. Yeah. So, so many great learnings there today. Uh, Nadia, what, what time, time is it? Is it? <laughs> let's do the, Wait, let's do one. Do you want me to do it? Did we, we didn't even look where we did our, uh, our, our coin flip rants and raves. You have drawn again, raves. I'm sorry. A rave. Okay. Yeah. There you go. All right. So this week, according to NPR, Nicole Mann became the first Native American woman and second overall Native American um, to go to space with the latest SpaceX mission. Nicole Mann is a Marine Corps uh, pilot and NASA astronaut, as well as a member of the Wallachi tribe. I apologize if I enunciated that incorrectly. I tried to Google enunciate that. Um, of the Round Valley Indian tribes. Fun fact, the first Native American man to walk in space was John Harrington in 2002. Very cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. so another another great first. Another great first. Another giant leap forward for <laughs> womankind. Well, that's right. Yeah, Personkind. Yeah, yeah personkind. Let's not generalize gender either, right? Well, I know, right? Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Uh, my rant this week, Nadia. Mm. Are you ready? Are you ready for a I, rant? I am always looking forward to your rants. I just want you to know that. Yeah, it's so much easier to rant these days, right? So, <laughs> so my question is: my is do all senators from the South have to have played or coached football? Is my is my question, <laughs> right? You may have heard about the self-described not smart person Herschel Walker uh, and his nauseating uh, mm. run for Senate in in the state of Georgia. And uh, but I don't know if you heard this week that not to be outdone, former Auburn football coach Tommy Tuberville, mm. who is somehow a senator. I, this is perplexing. Don't know how right? that happened. <laughs> yeah, th this week also made racist remarks, somehow conflating the idea of reparations with being pro-crime. Um, so the NAACP sent out a tweet reading that it is important for so-called DEI focused corporations to display their stance based on who and what they are aligned with. I couldn't agree more. Mm. Corporate backers of Tuberville, I guess Tuberville. That's I remember. I remember him as a terrible football coach for for Auburn. Um, mm. Those corporate backers include Home Depot, UPS, and of course the Flying Penis Rocket Company, Blue Origin, uh, owned by Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Do with this information what you like, Nadia. Uh, um, I get that he's a senator from Alabama, so he has to say things like this. But 
Does we, he though? Given Does up? he? <laughs> no, I think you're the senator from Alabama. You have to say things like this, but you know, you know, have we completely given up on having serious people run for federal office? That's yeah. that's that's it. Uh, that's that's how I'm done. Okay. Yeah. All I can <laughs> say is because I'm just very like election oriented. Election action is my jam. Like, yeah, midterms are coming. They are so important. I don't care who you vote for. Just go vote. Vote inclusively. Yeah, vote inclusively. <laughs> vote with your uh, conscience. Uh, um, excellent. Thanks again, thanks. Nani. Thanks again to Marcos Gonzalez of Vamos Ventures. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilia Media. We would love to hear from you. I can't emphasize that enough. So send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refilion.com. You can also find us at LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and rate wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch with either Nadia or myself for consulting, you can check out Nadia at nasconsultants.com and Rob at decanoconsulting.com. Thanks again. We'll be back with you all next week. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.